Hello, hello, and welcome to episode five of season two of Shades and Layers. We are halfway through the season, and so far we've looked at mental health and physical well-being. Today, it's all things spiritual. I've been waiting to have this conversation for as long as I've known my guest, Nogulinda Mkiza Howard. She is a Sangoma, or what's known as a traditional healer, and she's based in Johannesburg in South Africa. For me, it's impossible to talk black women and well-being and not talk about spirituality particularly African spirituality. So in our conversation, we cover many aspects of her practice, including the clients who approach her, the popular public talks she hosts called Gogo Speaks, and the products she creates for her online and offline community as they embark or continue on their spiritual journeys. Nogulinda is part of a new generation of traditional healers who are not only proudly visible, but also openly discuss their spiritual gifts and strive to normalize or rather renormalize African spirituality and traditional healing. I'm Kukonos Kosana Richie, and this is my conversation with Nogulinda Mkize Howard. So here we are, finally, the interview. Yeah. Dun, dun, dun. Oh, yeah. <laughs> dun, dun, <laughs> all right. So first things first, let's start with your work, where I always start with all my guests on Shades and Layers. Okay. Can you describe the work that you do? This is such a hard question for me because I do so many things mm-hmm. and I consider it all my work. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, in the past year, I haven't worked much um, as the Sangoma in Dumbeni because it's, I've been ill, firstly, mm-hmm. and secondly, it's been um, COVID all mm-hmm. over the place. Mm-hmm. So I normally would see clients face to face. Um, and do whatever cleansings and other types of treatments for people that I heal. But because of COVID-19, I couldn't risk having people coming to the house. Mm. And I just couldn't handle the, the global consciousness of panic mm. at the height of it. And mm. so I decided to just take a step back and allow myself to take a break. I experienced a lot of people dumping the panic, um, you know, uh, requesting consultations just to panic mm. on me mm. without wanting to hear anything or share anything or learn anything or explore anything. They just wanted to panic on someone. Mm. And and I found it particularly difficult because I was also dealing with um, my own ill health. So mm. I took a bit of a break and obviously then my other work became even more prominent, which is my work as a mother. Because Oof. all the kids were at home, we were having yeah. to try and homeschool and keep the kids entertained, um, figure out how we're going to navigate grocery shopping, um, you know, doctor's appointments and mm. things like that mm. in the middle of a pandemic and also watching people die on a daily mm. basis, mm. watching the numbers climb. It was very, very difficult. Yeah. Are you feeling a little bit on the other side of that right now in terms of... I uh, I am, yes. Yeah. We sent our kids back to school in September, which was a bit later than other people had done because we were just not feeling okay, you know. We were just like, okay, we don't know what people have been doing and we don't really want to... Because of the comorbidities that I had, I wasn't feeling particularly safe and we weren't particularly confident in sending our kids back to school when everybody sent their kids back to school. But as we saw the numbers declining in September, we then felt, okay, you know, we can try now. And that brought a lot of relief to Mm -hmm. us. And it gave me a lot of space to also just like focus on my health and do things like that. Mm -hmm. 
So you've taken a break at the moment, but in general, what would you say your practice looks like? What, what is it that you do? Um, there's two types of normal, you know. And by the way, you know, when I take a break, it's just that I haven't put my calendar online. But if people find me, they mm. come for a consultation, mm. you know. Yeah, so you can't turn I'm them open. away. Yeah. My view ever since lockdown was, it's you know, if you can find me, you can overcome the barriers I've put in place to protect me from the outside world and give myself a bit of privacy. If you can overcome those and mm. get a hold of me, then it means that we can have a consultation. So there's two types of normal. There's just an everyday normal. And then there's a normal of when I have initiates. I'm a twasa. Mm -hmm. So that entails very early mornings, drumming, um, you know, teaching certain things, listening to their dreams, understanding what they're going through with um, their ancestors. If there's any requirements, there's any requests, there's, it's a lot, you know, and then training them as well, which is like very um, practical training. So we accept clients, a lot more clients than I normally would on the, um, on the, uh, on, on the hope that the initiates are going to get a lot of practice because obviously our work is very practical. So the more clients you see and the more clients you have, the more experience Amatwasa gain yeah. from that because then they start to do the cleansings, they do the consultations and you just oversee that and you support them in that. And then you also get to participate in it, but you have as well the support of additional people to make the work move along a lot quicker than it would if it was just me by right. myself. Mm -hmm. and and just on a normal day i see clients i mm -hmm. have a cleansing i have um a, a, a femba session maybe there's umkiti that i'm going to but with covid obviously all of these things have changed sure and who are these clients who come to see you what are they seeking when they come to you I've been practicing in Johannesburg for in Gauteng for 11 years now. Mm -hmm. I've been in Sangoma for 13 years this month, actually. Oh. And I've been in Gauteng since 2010. Mm -hmm. So it's been 11 years of practicing in at the center of South Africa's economic heart, mm -hmm. you know. Mm -hmm. And um, so it, the, the, the problems, the kind of clients, the profile of people is very different in a city like Gauteng, as opposed to where I come from in Peter Maritzburg, where I lived in a rural area with my family. Mm -hmm. And so what I've noted, generally speaking, in the city is that there's a high level of anxiety. Right. And that anxiety is driven by a level of fragmentation mixed with aspiration, mixed with, I guess, just like the pace of the, of the cities. Pretoria and Johannesburg, you know, it's a very, very busy place. Mm. High human population density, it's just always very busy. So I find that my the, the general profile of my clientele, regardless of their age, regardless of their social standing, regardless of um, their agenda mm. and education levels and things like that, there's a common thread, which is an anxiety that's mixed with aspiration and the competitiveness of the city and the high pace. Mm. of the life that they have to live and the alienation also that comes with being in a city and being busy as a person. Mm. People are stressed out, you know, and of course there are the neurological um, considerations for mental health problems. But when you look at the way that some people are feeling and the general sense of how anxious and depressed 
they are, you find that a lot of it is underpinned by a sense of alienation and being fragmented from their communities and not even having communities to speak of. People mm. not having good friends, you know, people not being able to uh, maintain and participate in their communities, people not having you know, good relationships with people outside of their circle or not even being able to relate with people who don't work the, the same way that they do or live the same way that they do. Mm. So it's a very interesting tension that... Mm. So when they come to you, what do you offer them? So when people come to me, it's usually because they can't figure something out, mm-hmm. you know, and they feel like they need some sort of... Um, spiritual guidance Mm -hmm. so the basic offering is to throw the bones and take a look at what is going on in the person's uh, universe and to take a look at are there any messages coming from their ancestors what is the tapestry of their life looking like um you know what are they feeling are there any concerns i don't treat any physiological illnesses myself and i don't treat um, any psychological illnesses either. Mm-hmm. I always recommend that people go to professionals for that. And mm-hmm. if there is a spiritual underlining to those things, then I try to manage the, the spiritual for them so that they are able to go forth to another professional to then handle the psychological, psychiatric, or physiological. And so I, I work a lot collaboratively with doctors, with um, therapists, with other Izangoma mm-hmm. and other types of professionals as well to assist people to get a holistic view of their life and a holistic view of their health, which is obviously their spiritual health, mental, um, social, and all of that. Mm. And what's your area of expertise? How would you describe that? Um, your, I don't know. <laughs> it's, you know, I don't, it, it's hard to say. I know that I'm gifted in what I do. And I can see from the track record of my clients over the past decade and a bit that I I do have a positive impact in people's lives in the way that I have it. I think that one of my abilities and one of my gifts is being able to paint a big picture for a person, to help them to understand how the structural affects the personal, how the communal affects the personal, how the spiritual affects the physical and things like that. Because people tend, tend to think in very isolated terms, that things exist in isolation. So one of the things that I have been able to do for my clients is help them to understand the interconnectedness Mm. of everything and Mm. also challenge my clients to see themselves as an integral part of a much bigger picture and act accordingly. I'm good at throwing bones. Mm-hmm. At divination, I'm very gifted. <laughs> yes. I'm very gifted with my medicinal healing. I'm gifted with Ubufemba. I'm gifted, but I don't, there's certain things that I, you know, I, I will refer to another Sangoma for because I always ask the bones, just as a practice, that am I the person to help this person? And if so, how? And sometimes the bones say, no, you're not the one who needs to help this person. Ask them, you know, they need to find a Sangoma like this or a healer like that. And then yeah. I'll tell them, but I'm not the person who's meant to help you. Mm. The person who's meant to help you is a healer like this. If you have one in your family or go home and ask your family Mm. or somebody in your community to recommend to you a healer who's like this. Or sometimes they'll say, oh no, my family does have the healer. And then I'll say, okay, then go to them. Yeah, as I'm saying, it's important not to assume that just because people come to you for a divination, Mm. that you are the one who's been sent to help them. It's always important to ask, am I the one who must give the intervention or do the intervention or not? Mm. You're listening to Shades and Layers with Kuklonos Kwasana Ritchie, and I'm discussing African spirituality and its place in urban South African life with my guest, Nogulindam Kizehoud. 
Even in post-apartheid South Africa, there are many challenges facing the practice of traditional healing. Some of these problems uh, have historical roots, others are built into the structure of uh, the society, and others are personal. The challenges are echoed in the personal problems that Nogalinda's clients face. Up next, you will hear about some of the solutions and interventions she has been guided to provide, including her series of talks, Gogo Speaks. But first, let's find out some of the most common issues that she has identified among her clients. So what happens in an instance where someone says, but my family doesn't believe in this? I come across that a lot and I tell people that's your own car. I, I, I don't easily accept. And I know this is a very um, controversial and perhaps people will believe that it's harsh. Mm. But I've, we've been doing this work for over a decade. And I've gotten to a point in my life where I'm saying we didn't grow up in families where we were, you know, well, some of us did, but where <laughs> feminist literature was read to us and we understood, you know, we understood particular political things or economic things. We took that upon ourselves as adults hmm. to say, I'm going to learn how the world works. That's true. And it's a, and it's a harsh stance, but there's nothing else that can be done. Um, as a Sangoma, I do not stand in the gap and stand in substitute for your family or your community. Mm. I'm a tool and a medium for healing within those frameworks. And I'm not saying people must come to me perfect. I'm just saying, just have thought about certain things and considered certain things, Mm. you know, Mm. and not base your life on, you know, on like external factors like, well, you know, Cosmopolitan magazine tells me this and this about myself as a woman, and this is what I believe. And then you come into Benin, now I must convince you that maybe Cosmopolitan wasn't exactly correct. <laughs> That's your responsibility. Fair enough, fair enough. You know? Yeah. So do you think that, uh, well, not do you think, it's clear and quite obvious that you think community is... Um, is you know the primary source of knowledge and information about African spirituality. So then what happens and and with... life in general? <laughs> and I li- believe that yeah, community yeah. is central to mm. everything. Mm. You mm. know, mm. but in the community world of Dr. Google, I mean, it doesn't. I mean, it's natural to want to go and look up information. I mean, what other resources? Yes. Yeah, what other resources could people, people seek out? I, I, I go home. Yes. <laughs> go, go talk to other people, other human beings. I mean, I'm sorry, I don't accept that. And, you know, maybe it's just because I've had this off now. I don't have filters anymore. <laughs> I'm like, I almost died. So now sure. I'm just giving okay. it to you yeah. yeah. And you can feel what you feel, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes, there are resources online where we can generally learn about things that we're interested in. But the internet is full of information and not all of that information is well-considered, accurate, or even given from a place of authenticity and honesty and integrity. So if you have none of these inner resources that I was talking about, you will not have discernment. If you have no discernment, then you're going to get bamboozled Mm. and you're going to go down the wrong path and then you will still fail to take responsibility for the things that you need to take responsibility for in that journey. Mm. One must be able to own, you know, that my aspiration has caused me to only want to be friends of a particular class with a particular look of a particular style and of particular aspirations. Mm. And when you own that, you then say, because I I have these aspirations and because I am materialistic or classist, 
it means I do not have in my community the kind of people that can help me with one, two, and three. I'm stuck with people who are just like me, who are lost as mm. me, and I've got nothing else to lean on. Be so you able must to see say, a lot of I've people in pain. Brain. Yeah, I do. And the pain, a lot of it, we can see the historical, the structural. We can see the pain of patriarchy, the pain of capitalism acting upon people, you know, and the heaviness and the injustice of all of that. Those things we can see. But there's also a point at which it is important as an adult to take responsibility for how you move in this world. Mm. If you can't see that for yourself, you will always be blaming the structures. We have a limited amount of agency in this world. So how we use it is important. We don't have that much agency, particularly as black women. Money gives us a bit more agency, but we're still black women nonetheless. And so I find it very important for people to be able to say, with the little agency that I have, I am going to learn a level of humility that will allow me access to communities that I would have otherwise overlooked because I thought I was special because I'm private school educated, I've got a degree, I drive a certain car, and these are my material aspirations. Mm. So, I mean, the nature of problems or, yeah, just perceptions in general must have changed over the past few years that you've been working. How would you say, or what have you noted in terms of these changes? A lot has changed, you mm. know, and I'm finding my personal view is that there are, there has been a lot, there's been an explosion in the way in which people relate with and commune with Izangoma, what they believe is Ubungoma and how they position themselves relative to that. Mm. That's been a very big change, you know, and I'm seeing more and more and more people tending to conflate Isindum, um, Namasigo with Ubungoma and conflating the presence of our ancestors and our ancestral um, heritage and how we practice our beliefs as a people with Ubungoma. Because like I keep saying, Ubungoma is not central to how African people understand themselves. Mm-hmm. Abangoma are, are an auxiliary support system that exists on the periphery to the work of clans and families and the self. Mm-hmm. I believe that families belong in the center. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. a lot of things that are the responsibility of families mm-hmm. to do. Mm-hmm. Rites of passage, particular rituals, mm-hmm. basic healing, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. at home there should always have been somebody who knew what to do with the toothache, what to do with uh, period pains, what Mm. to do with these kind of injuries, what to do with those kind of headaches and what to do with these kind of problems that come with being a teenager, coming of age as a young adult and things like that, Mm. you know? Mm. And only once all of those familial and clan-based interventions have failed, only then can a Sangoma become involved. You don't need a Sangoma to speak to your ancestors. You don't need to go to a Sangoma to understand your ancestors. You just need community, you know, Mm. and learn from people's own experiences. Can you tell me a little bit of background to those talks and their purpose? I am very much guided by my ancestors. My ancestors will be like, do this. And I'll be like, oh, okay. And then I'll try it out and I'll do it. And then it will be successful. And then I'll be like, I don't know if I'm supposed to expand it. And then I'll get nervous, you know, imposter syndrome, whatever that thing that doesn't really exist, but it's a black woman problem (laughs) a lot of the time. (laughs) 
And then they'll be like, do this, do this. But the, also the other thing, when I started doing the, the talks developed from workshops that I used to do, I got tired of repeating myself mm. in Dumbin. And I thought, if I just do one talk and I pick a topic, or not even me pick a topic, the topic comes to me. Sure. I'm like, will say, talk about this. And I'll be like, oh, okay, it's time for a Coco Speaks. Mm. You know, the Coco Speaks mm. are at different times of the year because the message comes at different times to say, it's time for a Coco Speaks now. Talk about this. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then they'll say, talk about it like this, you know, and then we'll prepare. So that's what happened. And now going forward, in terms of COVID, we'll have to see. And Ahmad Lozier as well will have to let me know if they want me to do something else or not. Mm-hmm. Even with products and other things that I've done, it's all been guidance. Like, make a tincture. Do some honey. Make some salt. Make a dream journal. Okay. So I just follow whatever I could be, uh, I'm told. But because I'm not a business-minded person, I don't think about okay, how can I really monetize this? I basically just cover my cost and keep it moving. Mm. Yeah, I actually know, wanted to, like to ask you about successful. that, you know, because mm. there are some business basics. You you can't be making a loss. I mean, that's... No, I don't make a loss. Mm. So you get to cover your make... costs whenever you make something. Yeah, and the thing is, what it is worth my while. Obviously, mm. I'm not a millionaire from the things that I've done. But, mm. the, you know, fundamentally, the things that I do are to fulfill a particular need at a particular time, you know, but mm. it does make business sense. And it is something that is beneficial also for me. However, I have in the past struggled with seeing the demand of something. And then instead of working to meet the demand and things to teach you care about that, I panic and I don't want the scrutiny and the visibility of it. So then I stop. And that has been something that I've needed to work on mm. for, on myself as a person to say, why are you scared of the visibility? Why are you scared of the scrutiny? Why Mm. are you scared of success? Yes. Coming to that success, how would you define that? It's a difficult one because success is different for everybody. We all have different values. Mm -hmm. And I place a very high value on support. And I consider myself, and I've always considered myself, and I've been very vocal about this. I consider myself a successful Goko. Because mm-hmm. I have support. I can be honest about my work, do whatever I need to do, focus on my work because I have support. So for me, I, I, I consider myself a very successful person because I'm a person who has a strong community. I have people that I can rely on and there are people who rely on me, people who trust me. I mean, I just want to come back to the visibility thing. Mm. You said you did not want or you were scared of uh, visibility you can't help but be visible when you're present on social media yes and just even my personality it's like i don't understand (laughs) exactly (laughs) and i did make a decision at some point when i was still on twitter like maybe like nine or ten years ago that you know what i'm gonna share about the fact that i'm a sangoma while i'm living in my johannesburg life eating my youth you know, mm. because it's a part of my life. Mm. I'm not going to hide it because it's such a big part of my life that it's like trying to hide my husband or trying <laughs> to hide my family. Yeah, It's impossible. You know, yes, you can be private, but it's like Kubungoma is who I am and what I do. So there was no way that I could be this young person and share about whatever I'm going through and just be out there on the internet like other young people and not say, Sangoma, and this is what I'm doing as a Sangoma. Mm. Do you think this has uh, historical roots that uh, people get uncomfortable with, you know, saying I'm a Sangoma, 
you know, because this this frowning upon yeah the visibility of sangomas and yeah what what what's your it, take yeah, on that? Yeah, I mean back back when I was young, it was like kind of a strange thing, and a lot of people I got I did get a lot of backlash from mm-hmm. it that mm-hmm. I'm, I can't really be a sangoma because I'm X Y and Z and why would I tell people that I'm a sangoma? I'm attention seeking, you know, things like that. Back then, of course, there is a historical thing because Izangoma were discriminated against. Izangoma were outlawed under apartheid law, mm. you know, mm. and because of colonization as well, we were made to be the devil other mm. demon worshippers and things like that. So there was a lot of um a, a lot of discrimination and a lot of fear that people had to disclose that they were Izangoma because it would change the way people dealt with you and perceived you and how they treated you. Yeah. Everybody wants their affiliation now. Everybody wants their association. Even those who haven't gone through the process, even those who are not even supposed to go through the process, you know? Mm-hmm. And so there's a misplaced pride, African pride, I think, or like self-pride in being Ubuntu, that people are using Ubungoma as a vehicle to express that. And this is not the case today, but a decade ago, when I was like, uh-huh, Noxangoma is my handle on the internet, and people were like, oh my God, what kind of a sangoma you know private school educator university graduate people didn't didn't believe me (laughs) they didn't believe me they were like i've never met a sangoma like this and you know me i'm like a big fighter you know and Mm. i'll be like yeah this is what you must do when you don't be late this and that um consultation fees work like this and they'd be like well in my community the sangoma takes whatever and i'm like y'all explain to sangoma again Guys don't respect his angoma. That's why, you know. Could so be, let's not yeah. try also make his angoma all the same. Exactly. We're like this different. monolith, yeah. There, yeah, there is no monolith of African spirituality. There's no monolith of African culture. There's no monolith of African identity. There's no monolith on healers either. There mm. are parameters and practices. We all have to be initiated. The initiation processes might be different. So mm. there's that. And that doesn't change. You can't just call yourself a koko because you feel like it. Mm-hmm. I mean, what what is your take actually on the? I think there's been a call for the certification of uh, Izangoma. Mm, I'm in two minds about it. On the one hand, there's no way to like, for example, I know that I'm gifted. I have spiritual gifts given to me by my ancestors or lent to me by my ancestors to do my work as a vessel on earth right now. One day, this gift is going to go to when I die. The gift goes to somebody else. You know, so. How scientifically are you going to verify that I actually have the gifts that I have? Thank you. There's no way. There's no way. There's no way. Yes, I know my medicines, the few medicines that I know compared to other Ogokos who are older than me and everything. And he, Yanga, herbalist, you know? I know the medicines that I predominantly use in my practice, and I'm always learning more. If I write an exam now about medicines, and I fail it. Does that mean I'm not a Sangoma? Or does it mean that maybe I don't know how to interpret the exam paper? You know? Mm, but on the enough. other hand, I, I believe that there has to be some sort of recognition that will allow Izangoma to work within these systems, you know, that can allow us to make recommendations for psychiatric or medical evaluations that will be respected by medical professionals and that there is a two-way relationship so where we can refer people to the, to the scientific medical health system and they can refer people to us. And it does happen. There are those individual doctors who do work like that, but there does need to be something 
that also prevents, just like everybody else, not that, you know, lawyers and doctors are not um, fraternities or professions that can be defrauded, but it, it does offer, will also offer us a level of protection. Mm. Because right now, all we have is people's word on our practice. Mm. And if three people woke up tomorrow and decided to, you know, expose me to say, mm. I'm an unethical healer, I've harmed them, one, two, three, and four, I don't have any recourse. Mm. And so, I, you know, I would love to see Izangoma having some sort of legal protection because we need to work together. Mm-hmm. And it must stop being this thing of like pitting, you know, this indigenous health with, um, you know, Western medical science, healthcare systems. They both exist. They both have their roles. They both have their strengths and they both have their limitations. Nogulinda has used the past year to recover in many ways. After four pregnancies in quick succession, she started experiencing health challenges. And she talks about the specifics of what led her to undergo um, bariatric surgery in February 2021. In this next section, she also discusses other strategies she has chosen for healing herself after having this close shave with death. And of course, we are South Africans and we must make a joke out of everything. So you'll have to stick around and listen to how we make light of this uh, whole situation or just listen to us getting super silly. You've just been through a major surgery, bariatric surgery. Yes. Well, why did you have to go through that? I, I didn't have to go through it because most people in my country, in South Africa, are living with the diseases that I was like, I can't live with this. Mm. You know, we have an epidemic of hypertension. We have an epidemic of diabetes. Mm. These are the so-called silent killers, mm. you know, and they manifest in people's lives in a lot of different ways. And they cause so much ill health on a spiritual, psychological, and physiological level. And the, you know, our government's healthcare system is burdened. Well, first of all, because of these other reasons why the system is not working as well as it should be, corruption being one among them, lack of development mm-hmm. since the handover from apartheid being another, and just like other things, but also the, our healthcare system is so busy helping people manage their chronic metabolic diseases. And we just accept in life, so-and-so died because they had a stroke. So-and-so went into a diabetic coma. We've just normalized these illnesses. And there's actually a, a procedure that can put them into remission for quite a long time. Mm. But at the moment in, in, um, in South Africa, it's considered an elective procedure. And it's only offered in a handful of government hospitals. But I basically did bariatric surgery because I was living with metabolic diseases and I was like unable to function anymore after having my kids. And I just wanted a chance to live my life and to be there for my children. Mm. And, I, and I was, with the help of our families, I was uh, able to afford it because it mm. is quite expensive mm. if you do it in the private health system. Hospital. Okay. Yeah. Yes. And uh, it's considered an elective surgery. Yes, because because it can, it does. I mean, not speak about this as if it's an optional thing. Bariatric surgery leads to very drastic weight loss. Diabetic and hypertensive people who are not considered morbidly obese by the standards of medical aid, which are questionable at best, <laughs> may not qualify to do the surgery. So you just wanted to manage be, your illnesses. Because I remember you said you were on tons of medication 
Yes. I couldn't wake up in the morning. You know, basic things that people should be able to do. Get up in the morning and get moving. You know what I'm saying? Mm. Like that's a basic human thing that you should be able to do. It's not right for a person not to be able to get out of bed. Mm. Mm. And I was feeling that that for many, many years with obviously many other things as well. But one of the things that I struggled with was just to get up in my life and just move. And I just couldn't anymore. And being 36, hypertensive, diabetic, like I'm at risk for sudden death. I've got four young kids. I can't afford that, you know? And because I come from a family with a strong diabetic gene and a very strong hypertensive gene, my parents were like watching me with my pregnancies and how the pregnancies were affecting me. And they said to me with my last pregnancy, when you stand breastfeeding, you need to see this doctor. She's an endocrinologist and you you need to consider doing the surgery. And because my family was able to make that recommendation mm. and help us financially, because mm. I want to say that mm. this thing has been extremely costly. You know, I was able to, in, I started with them last year in July. And then in February, I did the surgery, you know, within a year, go from somebody who couldn't even get out of bed to be the person that I am today, who doesn't even have to take chronic medication anymore, whose bloods are normal. And I'm just living like any other normal 36-year-old, a healthy 36-year-old. So how are you taking care of yourself these days? I'm taking care of myself by learning about myself. The one thing that I've been reflecting on a lot is my historical lack of boundaries and how that historical lack of boundaries has caused me to take a lot of L's that I didn't need to take and put pressure on myself in ways that I didn't need to put pressure on myself. So I'm learning about myself and what causes me to not be able to have strong boundaries that are healthy for me and healthy for my for, for my family. For example? Uh, there's a lot, man. Just like, for example, in my practice, you know, a lack of understanding of boundaries caused me to overwork myself as a Sangoma, take on clients that are, you know, too many clients. My calendar was always fully booked. I had always like a three to six month waiting list mm. for years, mm. you know, and, and because I didn't have a strong sense of boundaries for myself and self-preservation for myself, I felt that I needed to personally attend to the crisis of being black in the city mm. by way of seeing all these clients and giving my best to them. But actually the crisis exists and I can attend to what I can attend to, but it's not my job only. Mm. Patients mm. and clients also have their responsibility and other healers are also there. Mm. But because people see you on the internet, which is also why, I, you know, I deleted most of my social media profiles. I've just got Instagram now, mm. you know, mm. because I didn't, I started realizing that people were looking for the personality of Noxangoma and mm. not the work of Upokongachakumba. Mm. Mm. Yeah. And all I can offer is the work of Upokongachakumba. I'm not a public personality. I'm not a celebrity. So don't pursue me like that. And I had to put the measures in place to protect myself, Middle Islamic, and my practice from that thing. Mm. So who heals you? Because Maybe you're in I've the business doctors. of healing other people. Yes. I mean, I've got doctors. I've got a therapist. I've got a personal trainer. I've got where I go to get a massage. I've got my friends, you know, and all of it is healing. Mm. The gossip sessions I have with my friend, the walks I have with another friend, the tea and plant discussions with another friend, you know, there's so much that encapsulates healing. Mm. And all of it for me is relationship-based, interacting with other people, you mm. know, and also being at home. I'm very much a homebody. Mm. I love being at home. Mm. I've got um, an amazing family. My husband is so great. And we hang out a lot together. So being at home, being secure in this bubble, 
that we've created for ourselves also brings me a lot of healing. I've got a lot of bogos who have trusted with me or by me. Um, mm-hmm. I've got impande of people, you know, whenever I need whatever, they're there. If they need something, I try to be there. They also play a very big role in supporting me, caring for me, praying, you know, mm-hmm. even people who are mm-hmm. distant to me. I have People pray for us. Mm-hmm. Even people that I like that follow me online, they send positive wishes. They send prayers. They, you know, write very beautiful affirming messages and all of that energy goes towards my healing. And I appreciate all of it. No, oh, that's lovely. And yeah. you also recently sent love letters to... Oh, I'm still sending them. Yes. Where's mine? Hey. Oh, well, you live there far away. I can't send it. I, 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 I'm complaining. I'm sorry. When, <laughs> when, when I want my love, love letter. <laughs> I'm so sorry, but you know our post office is like what it is, so we can only send letters locally. <laughs> I just decided when I was going towards my op and I was sharing about it online, so many people were so supportive, so many words of encouragement, so many words of affirmation that came from them. And I realized that, you know, my online community and my internet friends, as I like to call everybody, have been very consistent with me. Mm. Yes, there's been that negativity, those mean comments, people trying to discredit me, saying that I'm a fake and this and that, that I haven't actually gone to Twasa, which I have, obviously, and, you know, saying horrible things. But for the most part, the like my predominant experience has been an experience of positivity, mm. an experience of respect and an experience of care, you know. Mm. And so I just decided, let me just send out notes to people via the post office just to say thank you and like thank you so much for just that consistency because these are people that i don't know people who Mm, don't know mm. me but people who still take their time out of their day to send me a positive message to interact positively with something that i've shared people who support and come to my talks people who buy my products that's really really nice i appreciate that people have been quietly and loudly holding me up supporting me and doing things like that without making a big fuss about it and it's something that i really appreciate Mm. yeah I'll have to wait then. You'll just have to come here. That is far, so far away. I don't even want to think about it. But uh, we're going to do something a little bit fun. I don't know if it will work. Okay. But, um, you know, we have to, we've been talking some really serious stuff. So, yes. So you have to make a choice and don't hesitate. The first thing that comes to you. Just answer. Yep. Okay. Meghan Markle or Beyonce? Ha! Beyonce. But that was a difficult one. <laughs> I know. It feels a bit unfair, right? <laughs> it's very unfair, but I have to say Beyonce. <laughs> because maybe without Beyonce, we wouldn't even have a Megan. <laughs> Somebody had to lead the way. Someone had to break, break those doors open. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure Meghan Markle... Listen to Beyonce the day she was going to marry Harry. She was like, yeah, dead, get him dead. I'm sure. Okay. Chris Hemsworth mm-hmm. or Jason Momoa? Obviously, Jason Momoa. Chris Hemsworth is that jock boy. Nobody likes him. I don't know. No, I'm wrong. I'm Chris Evans. Captain America. Oh, my God. Jason Momoa. Jason oh Momoa. Chris Hemsworth is Thor, right? I love Chris Hemsworth. Yeah. Yeah. I love Thor. Mm-hmm. And, but I love Thor. Chris Hemsworth, not necessarily. Thor, in him, Then Jason Momoa, okay, 
Aquaman, whatever he says, he can get it. That man <laughs> can make my marriage shake. And I think my husband would forgive me also. Yeah, he'd just have to bow down and say, oh, okay, all right. Yeah. I, I understand. Just to act I like understand. he didn't see it, yes. Jason Momoa, <laughs> definitely. Okay. And last one, just to see what kind of like of things you are. Okay. Beach or forest? You know what kind of like of things? Beach. In the forest, I don't know what's behind or up in the trees. I love a forest <laughs> because that's where we get our medicine to heal people. Forests are beautiful. Trees are lovely and great. But when you said forest or beach, in my head, I'm like, a forest, a lot of horror movies are based no. <laughs> Therefore, I will have to say beach. So where can people learn more about you? And There's nothing to learn about. Where can they find you? They might be curious on after Inst- this. I hope so. At if least. people are curious, they can go check on my Instagram to see what I'm doing. But there's nothing to learn. I'm just another healer of many, many healers mm. in this world. Sure. You know? Yeah. So there's nothing to find. Unless you want to give me money, lots of money, <laughs> then there's no reason. Get your money. To find yes. My what questions should I not ask you if I do find you and want to give you lots of money and I still need your help? So what's the one question well, that will say, the all first right? Thing, the first thing that you tell me is, so as a Coco, I've got one million US dollars for you. <laughs> yeah, well, then after that, you can say, and I need a consultation. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Everybody's different. So I just read emails and I find, you know, people use other methods as well. Email mm. is not a, a reliable method of finding me, by the way, because I get so many. I but know. People make a way. Well, you heard it for yourself. The greeting must be followed with an offer. (laughs) But uh, thank you, Nogulinda, for sharing your story. You can find her using the handle at Noxangoma. Thanks to you for always listening. And thanks so much for the positive feedback that you've been sending in. You are very welcome to also suggest topics or interviews you would like to hear on Shades and Layers. I realized that there was a lot of unfamiliar terminology for a lot of people in this interview. And if you have a look at the show notes, you will find a definition of the specific words mentioned. I've included a glossary. And that's all from me this week or this time around. So until next time, please do take good care.